Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, only two verses. The last time the message was titled, A Lesson from Arboriculture. If you find that fascinating and you weren't here, definitely get it for free on the website. We have a video of it. Uh, Today, the message is titled, Body and Mind. And we're only going to cover two verses. Two verses that are very powerful. So no need to rush through the chapter. We may take it in two or three parts. Um, So for this, today's sermon, it's only going to be two parts. Uh, in we have a little bit of a tradition here and just kind of started it i don't know maybe from the lord or on a whim uh romans one talks about god's invisible attributes through nature and how many years ago when darwinism was big the cell seemed like something very gooey and simplistic and so did the natural world as far as the insects and such so every sunday through romans i've been kind of taking another creature and sharing it with you and telling you how complex these creatures are. It's actually pretty fascinating. So this morning, we're going to talk about our least favorite insect, (laughs) the fly. (laughs) Some of you might say spiders, cockroaches. (laughs) There's a lot of yucky creatures out there, but we're going to talk about the fly this morning. And even that simple creature, how complex that creature is. The fly only has one set of wings. And the way they do their acrobatic feats is actually quite remarkable, being that they only have one set of wings uh, as opposed to the dragonfly or the bee. The fly has another set of, they actually almost look like paddles. They're not wings, they're small, and they're called haltiers. And what the haltiers do is they sense wind current. They sense, they sense orientation in the air. And what that does, it sends electrical impulses to their little fly brains so they can compensate for yaw, pitch, and roll. If you've ever been in aviation, you understand the three movements of a, of a flying vehicle. Well, they do it naturally through nature. The fly uh, actually has pads and claws on the bottom of their feet. You can't see them. You need a microscope for that. That's why those annoying flies, when they're on your ceiling, kind of upside down looking at you like you can't get me, um, that explains that. They got pads and they got claws and they, they, they hook into your sheetrock and your paint. Uh, so interesting as well is the coliferid fly, the maggots of the coliferid fly actually are used in, in medicine. They're used in wound debridement. So this is a very common thing where somebody has a, an inf- a, maybe a leg infection and there's necrotic tissue and it smells and antibiotics aren't working, flushing isn't working. So medically, they actually have these maggots that they put on the wound. They only eat necrotic tissue. They don't eat good tissue. So in a certain amount of time, when they remove the maggots, the smell is gone, the necrotic tissue is gone. They know just how to hone in on the bad tissue because they don't eat good tissue. And the person gets healed. Uh, fly, fly lifestyle is, is so predictable, fly maggots and lifestyle, that they're using forensic science when it comes to law enforcement about a corpse and how long it's been there. Isn't that fascinating? All these things from that little annoying fly that you... Psh, 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 so now I'm probably going to make you upset, but um, uh, we, I don't really care too much for flies, and they're annoying, especially the biting ones. 
So I've, I've developed a way to actually kill flies. Heather's, my wife's looking at me shaking her head. Too much information. No, this is good. So what the flies do is if you see a fly and he takes off and you try to clap him, you'll miss him every time. They're too fast for you and they can sense wind current. So I've developed a technique where I get my hands within six inches of the fly and I clap. It's counterintuitive before he takes off and he flies right into my hand and I kill him. A few weeks ago, I actually was very excited because there was two flies on my leg. <laughs> and it's the first time in history I killed two flies with one clap. So, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm a man of very uh, f- many uh, diverse but unnecessary talents. You know, I'm not Mr. Miyagi. I can't get them with chopsticks. But, um, you know, this is how I've learned to do things in life. Anyway, that being said, we're going to jump into the scripture. So jumping in, uh, Romans 12, starting with verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, speaking of brothers and sisters in Rome, the Roman church, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So one attitude is godly living responsibilities toward God with respect to the human body, to our bodies. And this is an interesting thing. I, I did a study a while back, uh, you know, about the body, the brain, the Bible, and you. And basically, you know, your brain is a really neat supercomputer that controls your central nervous system. But even the experts in the field agree that there is a dichotomy or separation between the non-physical mind and the brain. And they've done all these studies on touching parts of the brain, and they found that there's this, this the mind part of us is literally autonomous from the supercomputer. But the mind tells the brain what to do. If you're a Christian, your spirit is revived. The spirit tells the mind what to do. The mind tells the brain what to do. The brain tells the body what to do. So you can see a hierarchy. And this is, you know, this is very easily through simple studies to see that this actually works. Sometimes in our flesh, we resist what the spirit is telling us. So we resist what God is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit and and the mind does want to go its own way and tells the brain what to do, tells the body what to do, and leads us into sin. So here we're talking about the body, us telling ourselves, you know, what we do in life every day, how to serve God, how to please God. Paul starts out by saying, by the mercies of God. Now, in, in his day in paganism, you had to appease the gods, and in primitive societies today, people still do that. They do these sacrifices, they do whatever to appease the angry gods so they could be happy with the human servants. Uh, even in religion today, and sadly in some forms of Christianity or some uh, schisms, is people have this attitude of doing works to appease God. Well, here's the good news. Christ already appeased the Father on the cross when he died for our sins. We, we don't have to appease God. He is already, we're already in a right standing when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Therefore, we desire, not what we're forced or God's going to punish us if we don't, but we desire to live sacrificially for God because by the mercies of God, he showed us mercy first. You know, when it comes to a relationship between us and the living God, God is the one who put out the olive branch first, and he really did that in the form, the ultimate Uh, olive branch was in the form of Jesus dying for our sins. So now it's a relationship. You know, I had um, at at various times and 
random times, I mean, can't predict it. People will come, want to see me, want to talk to me. And I was speaking to a couple recently, and uh, I was just trying to get them to understand the concept of having a relationship with the Lord. Right? You don't come here to do religion. You don't come here. We're not going to give you this very confusing list of things to do in this church. We want to just get you to understand who God is through the word and have a relationship. And here's the interesting thing. God developed relationships. So think about your spouse. Think about your parents. Think about your kids, your siblings, your best friends. Those cool relationships, those tight bonds, God is the progenitor. He's the creator of a relationship. So why would he want anything less from us? It's logical. It makes sense. This is, this is who we serve. But what is a living sacrifice? And we read this, and we're not really sure uh, at first glance, but as we start to do some study, we find that the, back in the Old Testament, they did do uh, expiation, propitiation. They used an animal, and they used a sacrifice for their sins, right? This was the old covenant, the old system. So in a sense, it was a living sacrifice. The priest also, the Old Testament priests, had a certain time frame that they had to serve if they were from the line of the priests. So in a sense, the priests were a living sacrifice. While other people were becoming farmers and, and you know, business owners and such, the priests, their job was to serve God and to serve God only. Uh, so in a sense, they were a living sacrifice. However, Jesus was the ultimate living sacrifice. When Jesus went to the cross, he was perfectly alive. He, and he took on the sins, our sins, Right? The sins of the people, the sins of the whole world. He was alive during that. Uh, he died after making that sacrifice for our sin. So he's a living sacrifice. But the question is, what does it mean to us? So we get all that. Pastor, I get it. The Bible says it, Old Testament, New Testament. But what is it to live a sacrifice, sacrificial life today? Well, the answer is, is that we... We want to, when we become Christians, we want to live less for self and more for God. So, you know, when you, when I was a young man in my 20s, all I could think about was, you know, I'm going to school, I'm graduating, this is my job, like it was all about me. But when I became a Christian, I thought, well, now there's somebody else in my life and it's God. How can I please him? What does he want me to do? I gave a little bit of my testimony at the men's retreat yesterday on Saturday and to, to make the decision, every Christian needs to make this decision. What are my gifts? What has God given me? How can I please him? How can I serve him? You know, how can I have a relationship with him? Now, if you listen a lot to the TV preachers and the prosperity gospel, this is a foreign concept to you. However, it is the truth. You know, the, in the prosperity system, God serves you. You rub the, the side of the bottle and the genie comes out and you say, God, I want this. God, I want that. Now go back into the bottle until the next time I need you. And that's kind of disrespectful analogy, but that's really what you're doing. You know, you listen to these preachers. God wants to give you this. God wants to give you that. God wants to constantly pestering God for things that you want. Where the truth is, we should be asking him, what does he want? Like, what, what happens when you have a one-way relationship? Eventually, it falls apart. Estranged from your kids, divorce, like all these things happen in a one-way relationship. So we shouldn't have that one-way relationship with God. If anything, to my dying breath, I will preach relationship over religion. Now, what does this not mean? This is very important because the, the new believer will say, and they hear things from the Pope, and I have to be very careful 
Anyone from the pulpit has to be very careful not to lead someone in a direction that the Bible wasn't meant for them to go. What does it not mean? Well, you've seen some of the, I would say, I'd say it's um, on the fringe. You know, well, I'm going to take a, a vow of poverty and celibacy. Well, I'm going to, every time I think a bad thought, and this is what religious people do. I'm going to take a whip and whip my back to get the thought out of my head. This stuff happens. I'm going to crawl on my knees for God and kiss the feet of statues. That's not what he's talking about. But it happens. It's almost as if we do these bizarre, uh, extreme works. God's going to be more pleased with us. And that's not reflected in the scripture. So we ask ourselves, my life in general... When I wasn't a Christian, I can look back and say, yeah, my life was all about me. But now that I am a believer, a year, five years, ten years, when do people see me and do they see that God is, is a part of my life? Do people see, even without me talking, that my actions and, and what I do in life and how things have changed, that, that I am a child of the living God? And is that something that's attractive to those that I know that are unsaved? Right? Have I given my life to be concerned about God, what God wants uh, from me or just what I want from him? My eternal wish list every time I go to prayer. I want this, I want that, I want... It's almost like Santa, Santa's list. Every time you pray, it's all the things that we want. No, it's a relationship and it goes both ways. He speaks about being, it being holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Acceptable to God and holy. So in the old days, whether it was the priest ministering or the animal that we spoke about, the sacrifice had to be perfect and without blemish because the religious system was supposed to give God their best. And we need to ask ourselves that question. Am I giving God my best? Or am I giving God part of my life when everything else that I want to do is done? That's not sacrificial. That's giving him the table scraps. Hard questions, right? But every person has to ask themselves these questions. He speaks about reasonable service. The word reasonable in the Greek is logikos, where we get the word logic from, and it literally means of the word. Because when you read the word, the word is logical. I've seen Bibles from decades ago that the public schools had, and they put their stamps, county of whatever, stamped in the Bible. And many years ago, kids grew up and learned how to read and learned how to do logic by reading the Bible. Now, to us today, you'd be like, Pastor Joe, no way, that can't be. It really is. They actually have them. They're probably worth a lot of money because the public schools have completely, for the most part, sanitized God's word. But there was a day when that was different, right? And the world was a better place, you know, back then, I think. Uh, is our lives a reflection of the word? Do we even know the word? And again, this, I, 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 going through my thought processes, as I put my notes together and as I preach to you, I say to myself, to myself, right? Don't make them feel guilty. Don't make them feel ashamed. And I, I've seen that type of preaching and I don't agree with it. If you love God, or you have a, a somewhat of a relationship with him, what I'm saying should gently nudge you to go in a direction that the Lord has already been working on you with, you know? And that happened in my life, you know? God didn't open up the ceiling one day while I was in my bed and say, I want you to, you know, pack up everything and go to the remote portions of the world and just leave your family. Like, that's not how he operates. 
You know, when God, to end up here, it was a slow process. Because as a new believer, if honestly he said that to me, I would, I would have done Jonah, I would have ran the other way. I'd be like, no way, that's insane. But slowly he got me to a point where I was comfortable with it and it's something that I wanted to do. And I woke up this morning and my head was spinning. I was shaving, looking up and down, and the bathroom started spinning because of the vertigo. And I'm like, oh, I really want to preach this message while I'm here. So um, I asked a bunch of people to pray for me, and so far I'm still vertical, which is good. You know, is, are we interested in serving God? Do we want to please God? Do we have an attitude that's positive towards God and the things of God? Um, do we desire to serve him in some way? Like, how about, you know, as a believer, Lord, what can I do? And I always encourage Christians, especially new Christians, to understand what their spiritual gifts are. God has endowed every person here from birth with specific skills. We all have some type of skill, and it's very diverse. But when you become born again of the Spirit of God, he also endows you with spiritual gifts that are outside the natural world, outside your genetic makeup, right? These are unseen but these are your abilities. So I always encourage Christians to pray about what are my spiritual gifts? What am I good at in the spiritual world? And how can I use that to further the work of God, supporting the work of God? We're either all in or we're not. Verse two, it says, and do not be conformed to this world or this world system. We have to live here. But we shouldn't be brainwashed by the system of the world that's all now pretty much a big echo chamber. And you almost have to agree with like a hundred tenets for you to be accepted into the world system. The world system is poised against God. We see that in many places of the scripture. Because it's all about the flesh. It's all about humanistic psychology. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorpho by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And I'll get to that word that I blurted out. Uh, So the second part is conform to the world or transform by the Lord. Which one are we? This is important because, folks, the, the mind, as a Christian, your mind is a battlefield. If the world system can get you to go along with all the bizarre things that are changing very rapidly in our culture, then your behavior will change. And you'll say that you're a Christian, but there'll be no semblance of Christianity in your life. So the mind is a very important place for the Christian to understand what is right, what is wrong. What does the Bible say? What is the world doing? What do I agree with? What do I not agree with? Mind is very important. We talk a lot about the spirit in Christianity. But the body and the mind are equally as important. And that's why the message this morning is titled Body and Mind. Two verses, very powerful. What is it like to be conformed to the world? Well, the Greek lexicon, I always go into my Greek to look at these words and, and make, make it pop. What are, the, what are the other definitions in the semantic range? So to be conformed means to fashion alike, to conform to the same pattern. Basically, to become mindless minions. If you ever know anybody who sits around watching TV all day, like all they do is watch TV, I honestly believe it affects your IQ because you're just basically being, you're absorbing everything that a group of people in power are trying to tell you to believe. So we have to resist that. I'll give you an example in the world and I'll give you some examples. Well, I'll give you one example in supposedly the church 
And I'll give you some examples in the world. I'm going to tell you, and I've done research, people send me stuff from the church and say, hey, can you believe this is happening? Can you believe that's happening? Sometimes I look at the article and I think, this is so bizarre, this has to be fake news. And then I vet it and find out it's actually true. You start to vet this thing and you look at the local news and you, you, you realize these things really did happen. And I don't know, maybe I'm a dinosaur, but I'm, I'm amazed at the transformation of our culture. Here's an example about the church conforming to the world, right? Not, not to do. Whitetail Chapel Church, Virginia. It's a church, maybe of about 40 people. And it's situation, situated near a very large and influential nudist colony. So... Somebody decides in the church that everybody's going to come to church every Sunday and they disrobe completely before the service starts. It's funny, isn't it? Don't worry, I don't have any ideas. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm listening, I'm like, no. So I play the video, I'm listening to the pastor. You can find any orator who can make you believe anything, right? You can sell ice to somebody in Alaska. And he's talking about how, you know, we, we have different classes and there's dress codes and some people can afford a suit and some people can't. And he's going through this whole thing and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. But that's a classic example of the church or believers conforming to the world instead of conforming to what Christ says in the renewing of their mind. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. And I've heard this, and there's a huge mistake when people, and they say this, and I'm not going to, if you said this to me, it's, I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but sometimes we have to measure our words. How many times have you heard the phrase, because I've heard it a lot, well, Jesus hung out with prostitutes, thieves, and drunkards. He hung out. <laughs> I got some hands going up in the back. Um, it doesn't mean that Jesus went to a house of prostitution. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the getaway driver when the bank robbers got back in the car. It doesn't mean that when a bunch of people were smoking weed and, and drinking around the campfire that Jesus, he, they passed it around to him. Although some people will tell you that. Jesus tried to go into the world to get them to his side, to get them saved. That was his desire. But people will justify their behavior and, sit, and almost bring Jesus down like he was one of the guys. Jesus was the son of God. He's the standard. Yeah, he loves sinners. But his desire is to get them all saved. So you've got to be careful with some of these expressions. He sought out the lost sheep. Here's some examples of the world where people and businesses and government are perfectly fine with aberrant behavior. Again, I read the article and I'm like, there's got to be more to the story. I read it. It's been well established. I think it's about eight months old by now. Planet Fitness, female rape survivor, objected to a biological man being allowed in the women's locker room. So this guy goes in. He's a full biological man. He completely goes into the women's. This, is, this happened. He goes in. He completely disrobes. And he sits there and he watches the women go in and out of the shower. Well, a bunch of women complained to Planet Fitness, and the one was the rape survivor, and she was very vocal about, this is ridiculous. Don't women have safe spaces? And they said to her, we'll, we'll, we'll cancel your membership. They took his side. I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I read this, and I'm like, uh, this is weird. 
Um, there's a school district in California. Once I say California, you can start to chuckle because a lot of stuff comes out of California. The Bria Olinda School District, school district, this is public schools teaching that sex between adult men and children is just a form of sexual orientation. It's just their preference. So basically now perverts have a voice. Perverts are justified. They're not shamed into changing. They're not um, charged for their aberrant behavior, abusive behavior. But we're going to teach this stuff. And when when it got exposed, the school officials protested and said, no, no, this is folks. (laughs) And you might ask, why are you bringing this up in church? Because it's part and parcel, it's germane to what the scripture is saying here. There are some Christians, some that I know, and there's probably a sprinkling of them in every church, that believe everything the world says, that they think this is good, that they think this is normal, and they'll justify their reasons. And that type of Christian is like the proverbial frog in the boiling water. The frog is in hot water and it feels good at first. The heat is turned up. It feels like a sauna. The heat is turned up little by little, then it starts to boil. The frog is upside down, dead, because it was such a gradual change that they didn't see it. And this type of person is a very confused, if they are a believer at all, they're very confused because their life now starts to get a little confusing. And they're, they're searching for answers because they're not being conformed They're being conformed to the world, and they're not being transformed by what the Scripture says. You know, the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, that is the Bible to the secular humanist psychiatry and psychological community. The DSM-5 is the one that's used today. Actually, they're coming out with a DSM-6. It's probably going to be out very soon. You know that every time a new DSM comes out, there's an argument, and I, I did research on this. There's a fight in the mental health community because some are saying, how could you take that out of there? That's a disorder. That's going to harm people. And the, the, the ones that are moving more progressive say, no, no, that's fine. Just like the school district. Sexual perversion is, it's just normal. So there in the mental health community, I can tell you this for a fact, do some research. There are groups that oppose each other about the releasing about these new DSMs. So where do you find truth? when people are constantly arguing about truth. Where you find it, folks, is the scripture. Because the Bible's not politically correct. The Bible doesn't change because of people's feelings. The Bible is a constant. And when we start to follow it and we start to let it renew our minds, we understand in this chaotic world what is right and what is wrong. The church, the true church, the Bible-believing church, is up against the Goliath of the world. Hollywood, political class, academia, the sports culture, the pop culture, celebrity Christianity. So, how many people remember the song Hotel California by the Eagles? Raise your hand. Pretty much everybody. <laughs> I got the lyrics in my head. As a kid, you hear the song over and over. No, it's not about Satanism. I'll tell you what it is about. From the Eagles themselves. They couldn't outright say what they were trying to say in their song because they would offend a lot of people and their bread and butter. As a lot of artists do, they say things cryptic or they use symbolism. According to the Eagles, that song was about getting into the music industry, getting into Hollywood, the whole celebrity culture, being sucked in so much that they couldn't get out. 
You can check out any time you want, but you can never leave. By their own admission, sex, drugs, rock and roll, fame. How many people's lives have been destroyed by those industries? And everybody, a lot of Christians do. They, they use their finances and they, they follow it. And, and even some Christian ministries try to imitate those Im- industries so they can get more people, so they can fill the pews. Here, we're not concerned about filling the pews. We just want people here who want a relationship with Jesus and who want to understand their world. Who want to understand their world and also understand the word. Look at child um, performers, Miley Cyrus, Disney. And then she had this big coming out. The, the, the young lady's a train wreck. Justin Bieber, Whitney Houston used to sing gospel music. Look what happened to her. I mean, you can go... Name after name after name. These industries are like meat grinders. Don't let your kid get involved in this stuff. Oh, but they're going to make a million dollars. Is that all we see is dollar signs? What about the health of your child? What about their mental health? As parents, we need to protect our kids. So you stab it with the steely knives and they just can't kill the beast, right? If you, if you understand the lyrics to that song, they were basically saying we're drawn in Everyone we know are drawn in, and we can physically leave, but we always have to come back. They're, they're addicted to that industry by their flesh. Look at some of the lyrics of some of these uh, songs and you question. Do a little research on it. You'll find they're trying to tell you something. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, we are in an unseen war. And if we come to church one hour out of 168 hours in a week, and we think that just coming to church is going to do it for us, we're sadly mistaken. Because the world, you, as soon as you walk out that door, looking at ads, looking at billboards, you know, your, your mind is, is a sponge. It takes in images, it takes in sounds, and it's constantly processing information. That's why this is in the scripture. The Apostle Paul had no idea the technology that we were going to experience in 2019. But the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit did. David Guzik said, The problem with many Christians is they live their life based on feelings. And they're only concerned with doing. But Pastor Joe, didn't you just say that doing is good? What's this guy saying? What I'm saying is, Doing a rote religious ritual is not having a relationship with God. Sometimes people think to themselves, I got my kids, I got my siblings, I got my parents, I got my job, I got, I'm going to get an education, oh, and a relationship with God, where am I going to fit that in? So let me write a check. Let me attend Sunday service. Let me do something. But if you're not doing it with the heart for God, it's kind of useless The renewing of our minds puts feelings also in perspective. I don't like what the preacher is saying right now. I'm uncomfortable with it. Is that your flesh? Or is that the reasoning part of you? How does it measure up with scripture? And I've heard this. I'm going from church to church to church to find the church that suits my needs and my lifestyle. Is that what we're supposed to do? Or are we supposed to find the church where the word is taught And that's the standard, and we live up to that standard or do the best we can while we're on this side of eternity. The word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho, is where we get the word metamorphosis. Caterpillar to a butterfly. 
Once you're a butterfly, you don't want to go back to being a caterpillar and you can't. And we have to make that step. Are our minds being renewed? Don't look back. Have we been transformed? Do we believe more of what we see on TV than what God's word teaches us? Do we have discernment? Do we have discernment? When we watch the, the, the Christian preacher or the, the TV preacher, is what he's saying in line with what scripture says? 1 John 4.1 says, test the spirits because not all, this, not all of them are from God. Test the spirits. It puts a, a Christian stamp on it. There's a cross somewhere. So that makes it legitimate. What are they saying? Do we know enough about the word to be discerning? Read to, I'll, I'll go back to 2B. It says that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Yes, we can do that. Prayer and God's word are the key to this. In John 14, did you know that Jesus says to his followers, to all those who read the Bible, John 14, Jesus says, do you love me? Then follow my word. So he takes all self-professed Christians and he divides them into two categories. And he says, the one that doesn't does not love me. What Jesus is saying is my word is extremely important. Jesus was known as the Lagos or the word. He was the word of God. Everything he said out of his mouth, every word in the gospels in red where he speaks has a meaning. He wants us to know things. But he says in John 14, because a lot of people say, oh, I just love Jesus. They're swooning over the thought of Jesus. But Jesus puts them to the test. Are you following my word? Do you even know my word? Because the ones that do, do love me truly. The ones that don't, do really not love me, no matter what they say. And I would ask myself, what category am I in? You know, is, uh, are we more in line with the world's philosophy? Because John tells us that if we love the world system, the love of the Father is not in us. Again, we can get very emotional as Christians. I love Jesus. I have a, a painting of Jesus. I wear a crucifix. Those things aren't bad. But that's not loving Jesus, right? If I love the world system, and that's where I'm swooning to versus God, prayer, his word, then what John says is that the love of the Father is not in me. It's nowhere to be found because we can't walk in two different directions at the same time, especially if they're opposite directions. Are we transformed in our thinking by the renewing of our mind so that we may know God better? and that we have a true relationship with him? That's the question that every Christian must ask themselves. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.